We have to go back! everyone welcome back to the flashback flicks retro movie podcast i'm ricky i'm grayson and because onward is making its way onward out to the theaters we decided to take a look back at the 2001 live action adaptation of the famous novel by uh your boy uh tolkien (laughs) i i wanted to come up with what jrr stood for so i was gonna Mm. say junior Mm. Rudabaga Tolkien. That's a lot to ask of yourself. <laughs> it really is. Lord of the Rings, colon, The Fellowship of the Ring. Now, I'm sure if you are a fan of Lord of the Rings, you, you understand one does not simply review. <laughs> That's more if you're a fan of memes, but yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. So we typically here on the podcast, when it comes to bigger properties, we admit our limitations. Uh, We cannot really cover everything that there is to know about Lord of the Rings because, I mean, I did my research on the IMDb page trivia page alone. If you try to print it out is 24 pages. Oh, my goodness. Why did you try to print it? It's I just wanted to prove a point. I had I wanted something offline. My internet Challenge has been spotty. <laughs> accepted. I'm going to print the internet. <laughs> so all that being said, we are going to be covering some broad strokes, but we are still going to do what we typically do on the podcast, which is starting out with a synopsis and giving you a little bit of backstory. So uh, synopsis set in Middle Earth. The story tells of the Dark Lord Sauron, who is seeking the One Ring. The ring has found its way to the young hobbit Frodo Baggins. The fate of the Middle-earth hangs in the balance as Frodo and eight companions who form the Fellowship of the Ring begin their journey to Mount Doom in the land of Mordor, the only place where the ring can be destroyed. Now, this movie is the first live-action adaptation of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy, which originally came out in the 50s, which was supposed to just start out as like a sequel to The Hobbit. So it starts with The Hobbit, and then he's like, okay, yeah, I'll make a sequel to this thing. And then everyone's like, no, this is the thing. Uh, and it has been adapted into radio plays and animated. But 2001 was the first time that they decided to undertake this under the direction of Peter Jackson. Now, one of the most ambitious movie projects ever taken, total cost for all of the movies is around $300 million because they hmm. actually shot all three movies together. Uh, And I I didn't know that. That was like wild to me. So um, the back-to-back shoot lasted a record equaling 274 days and 16 months. That's the exact same time it took for principal photography of Apocalypse Now in 1979. It took a total of eight years uh, factoring in pre-production and the fact that additional pickups uh, were filmed in between each film release, but the movies were released seasonally back to back, one year apart from each other. Um, but we are going to focus primarily on the Fellowship of the Ring, which had a budget focusing on this one movie of about ninety-three million dollars, and it went on to make eight hundred and eighty-seven million dollars oh worldwide. Oh my goodness, that, that is, is crazy! A lot. Of elevensies. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. Breaks down into even multiples. <laughs> 
this movie uh, is very iconic, especially for the very uh, young Elijah Wood. He was 18 at the time uh, when he was filming, and he just looks so young. And- I was wondering. I was like, I can't place what age he's at because yeah. um, he's been you know acting forever so mm-hmm. it can really just skew anyway a- a- any kind of direction on his age but it did make me realize that this is my second favorite elijah wood trilogy um, oh, really? only only second to back to the future so uh, <laughs> he's been in it a long time that's a baby's toy <laughs> oh i love it yeah you're right you know what Mine too. <laughs> like anyone else uh, who grew up in the early aughts, as we call them, um, I was very aware of Lord of the Rings, but and it is and it is even part of the YMCA Criterion Collection. Oh. But Grayson has. Oh, is it? Oh, oh it's it pretty is. Violent for oh, the YMCA. PG thirteen. That's all they needed. Uh, but unfortunately, Grayson, I, I. I don't have a positive experience with this movie when I first saw it. Oh, really? I was young. I didn't know things. Let me explain. I don't remember how much of this movie I saw because I think retroactively, I don't think I watched the whole movie because as soon as I, they have like this whole backstory of like all of the rings, I'm like, well, I don't remember any of this. The thing I remember. (laughs) You're getting popcorn. (laughs) Yes. Basically, the thing, the first scene I remember is when Bilbo, um, when, when they meet him, like basically halfway through the movie, like an hour and a half in, um, right after Frodo gets healed, um, is when, and they're reunited with. Oh, after he's stabbed by the ring wraiths? Yeah. What'd you think he was doing? <laughs> I basically, I just remember him waking up and I'm just like, and right. As they form the fellowship, they just go out. And oh my I, goodness! That's like saying Dumb and Dumber. It's a story about that two, those two guys that you know hang out in Aspen and then do other. Like no, it's getting to Aspen. That oh. explains a lot of what's about to happen. Um, and so the movie goes on. And I'm like, okay. I mean, okay, cool. Battle, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the credits roll, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Somebody wants <laughs> like, That's uh, it. Yeah, and you didn't watch this movie right. No, I didn't. And then <laughs> I'm just gonna it, say that's the I, wrong way to do it. But here's the thing: I distinctly remember someone trying to explain to me, like, "No, Ricky, you understand. That's just part of it." Like, I don't care because I didn't know it was based off of a book because oh. Oh, the only man. kind of books I read during that time were Garfield comic book collections and Goosebumps. Okay. So I wasn't. As cultured at the time, I was just like, I don't care if they're trying to set it up for some other franchise. I'm out. <laughs> so, I mean, I give you a pass on the on the book side just because of when this came out for us, I guess. But you just got to watch the whole movie. I didn't. I'd say I, that's honestly, true of of almost any movie. Right. You have to watch the whole thing. And yeah. granted, I'll give myself that in the past. But after watching it from beginning to end, I, I have such shame around not seeing this movie sooner because I have references to the movie. I, I know several oh, sure. things. Yeah. I know the whole You Shall Not Pass. They mm-hmm. did a par- parody on um, Family Guy. Of course, Fly the Concord song. Oh, Frodo, right. yeah. don't wear the That's ring. That's the whole thing right there, yeah. I know it's very tempting. 
so yeah, I remember the references because it was a huge, like, like influential, like fantasy and pop cultural movie. Like it was one of the. Uh, it's just one of those movies that like everyone had seen, and so yeah. I feel bad for myself. Like I could have known the magic. The pure magic that is this movie. And I really hate that I I can't just go find six more hours to just watch the rest of them. There's still time. Um, but you're right. This is uh, an important series. And uh, it was in the zeitgeist very much, uh, you know, just part of culture now. And uh, there's so many different ways that you can look at this movie. Uh, you can look at it as an adaptation. You can look at the production side of it. Um, uh, so I, I just think it's in- interesting, um, production-wise, what it did for the the country of oh, New yeah. Zealand. Um, so you mentioned Flight of the Concords, and later uh, you know, Brett would go on to be in, uh, in, in the movie. And uh, I mean... It just became synonymous with New Zealand. But the uh, amount of tourism alone that Lord of the Rings caused New Zealand is uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars infused from tourism and production and all that. Um, and for a lot of people, really put it on the map. Uh, it was It's kind of unbelievable how much uh, <laughs> that it wasn't just, you know, like, oh, the country next to Australia. It became like a destination uh, because of the movie, you can do tours through there where you follow like the the locations that they shot at. It's pretty unbelievable uh, what it did for the country. For the stars in this, um, it really did either you know launch or redefine a lot of the careers for the people in it. And uh, I mean, it's just uh, the massive cast, you know. You know. And so, um, it, what I love is how much this movie meant to uh, the nine, especially. So I don't know if you've heard this, but they all got um, matching tattoos at, at the end of the, the process. I mean, because it was, like you said, like eight years of production. Like it was a massive, massive deal. And being kind of you know secluded in New Zealand, like they really became a family. Right. So uh, they all got matching tattoos that say nine in the Elvish script. Um, the only exception is uh, that John Rice Davies, who plays Gimli, uh, he did not get the uh, tattoo himself, but instead allowed his uh, his stunt double to get the tattoo for him. Uh, which That's is a great fun. stunt double. That's fun. He had a quote uh, that said, uh, the elvish tattoo was designed, but I'm a professional actor, and whenever there's anything dangerous or involves blood, I send my stunt double to do it. Uh, it's fun. Um, but they all have these these matching tattoos, and um, Peter Jackson, who really you know is the visionary that brought this world to the screen, uh, he got a similar tattoo in the Elvish script that says ten. So it's uh, a really amazing bonding experience that that they went through. And so when when I think about Lord of the Rings and I think about the cast, that to me is really um, kind of the the proof of of the process and the fact that they're still making these uh, like so. We have this one that really launched off uh, the proof that this can exist on screen in live action. Uh, And then, of course, we had the Hobbit trilogy, uh, where a lot of people argued could have just been one movie. Uh, 
that's fair, but that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, what I'm really excited about is the $1 billion that Amazon paid for this intellectual property to make it a TV series. And they've already started production in New Zealand. And it's just more of this thing that I love. So uh, this movie is uh, more than a movie to me. Uh, and the world building here is uh, absolutely incredible. I mean, I remember sitting in theaters and just being like, we have, I don't remember ever seeing a world so crafted as this. Um, and I mean, here's, here's how powerful this was. And it really defined a lot of my personal life. Uh, I saw this movie in theaters. I was on uh, the first date with my first girlfriend ever. And I, I was a terrible date because I was so enthralled with this movie <laughs> And the relationship didn't last very long. My relationship with Lord of the Rings has lasted longer than that did uh, by yes. leaps and bounds. So uh, I think that really defined me as a person in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things I remember about this. It was uh, probably an unfortunate first date uh, movie for me. I'm I'm so sorry. Um, but I'm glad you got to see Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm glad I got to see Lord of the Rings as well. But then, you know what? Just to bring it full circle, um, one of the early dates that I, I went on with my wife, she set up a day where we watched all three of them back to back to back. Wow. And that's when I knew. That's yeah. when I knew. Right there. Yeah. And then yeah, you that, forged that, the ring. I Man. did. I said, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, maybe it was a not so subtle hint, but yeah. <laughs> I did I did propose not that long after. So. Yes. yes. I love it. Man, I mean, this movie, it's so impressive because if you look at Fellowship of the Rings today, the the amount of forethought that they put into the whole series, because it's like we have to make all of these movies like now, like in mm -hmm. one huge production. It's like imagine making the entire first phase of the MCU like in one production like that. That kind of ambition is just like unheard of. Granted, because they're making three movies and not 20 something Um or I guess the first phase had like seven. But still, it's like having that kind of forethought and that kind of buy-in from the studio is like really crazy. Like people were just like, all right, Peter Jackson, I mean, do your work, man. This is $300 million. And he said in his accent, I'm sure, um, is very distinguished. Uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I do think it, it helps, though, that there was such a distance between, like, time-wise, between when the books were written uh, and when they made the films. Um, because you can tell the people that made this, they're, they're fans of it. Um, love it, yeah. They, they love it. And so there's there's times to develop your, your own ideas of how this should be told. And it's such a massive series um, when you consider not just... Uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings books plus The Hobbit, but The Cimmerillion, which really dives into the history. Uh, and it was compiled from a lot of the notes that Tolkien had. And Christopher Tolkien, his son, who recently passed away, uh, and um, really the, the head of the estate for a long time, uh, really protected this intellectual property. And they were able to hone it in a way to where anything they make in the Lord of the Rings 
uh, universe can feel consistent. Um, and they had the time to really cultivate, you know, what this world is and what it isn't. Um, I, but I think about how we went through, um, you know, so many straight to movie adaptations of books that really did the source material disservice of like Divergent and, and Hunger Games to a certain extent. And yeah, they wanted to strike while people were really you know, excited. But, you know, you get part of the way through Maze Runner and you never really finish what it has. Same thing happened with like, uh, you know, the later Divergent movies or whatever. Um, this is different. This is uh, categorically different yeah. because you have generations of, of following uh, behind it. And um, I think... What I really appreciate about this series in general and um, how it relates to the movies is some people, some people are diehard fans of the books and uh, reject the movies for whatever reason just because it doesn't really fit, you know, what they had in their mind or they feel like that's the end all be all. And yes, as a as a book series, that is how it should exist. What I really appreciate about what Peter Jackson and crew did for this was if you know the books, you know that they had the foresight to pull in and the forethought to really incorporate aspects from later books earlier just for more cohesive and, you know, believe it or not, concise story flow. Mm -hmm. um, and they really knew what could be cut out. Like there's this whole scene in Fellowship of the Ring where they go to this guy named Tom Bombadil and it's real kind of trippy and they're, they're in the forest for a long time. And they're like, you know what? That ultimately doesn't like get him directly you know, moving any closer to Mordor, just cut it out. Um, and that's totally valid for an adaptation. So uh, from that side of the craft, I'm really uh, just blown away and impressed by how they could approach something so big and having the, I don't know, the confidence, I don't know what the word would be, the, the vision yeah. for saying this fits and this doesn't. And I know I'm tinkering with a classic here, but this is, uh, you know, the most, uh, you know, this is the tightest story uh, that I can tell on screen. And so that's, that to me is what blows me away every single time I watch this, while also maintaining those core epic storytelling uh, elements and making them hit just as strong. Like Gandalf, you know, f the, the fall of Gandalf when they're in the mines, uh, it makes me feel the same way I felt the first time that I, I watched uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi get struck down. Mm -hmm. Like that loss of mentor. And it hits all of those uh, in the right way to where even though this is part one of three, you're still getting that arc within each individual movie. And um, uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm blown away by this series. And like we said, we could go on and on about all of the different uh, you know, aspects of it, but I feel like every section of this episode is going to be my own reasons to recommend <laughs> just cause I am, you know, such a huge fan. Yeah. I mean, I, and honestly, as someone who just like never really got into this, I, I tend to think that I am someone who is more, uh, into sci-fi than fantasy. A mm -hmm. lot. I've tried getting into certain fantasy shows and really none of them have been able to get me on board because you as, weren't like a game of thrones guy or anything no. like that anything where the writer from the source material had rr and in, in his name yeah it's just yeah. maybe it's that maybe 
me being Ricky and then I, being R and I don't enough know. abbreviations. J R R. Yeah, who are I, you? Were yeah, you hiding? J K. <laughs> like just. But for for whatever reason, is it was just harder for me to get into the story. But Lord of the Rings, especially as a movie with Fellowship of the Rings, does such a good job of pacing a very large story very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I like in, being introduced to um, the the Hobbit village or just getting the backstory of like the ring and everything. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, got it. Okay, so we understand the whole ring. That's that's the uh, the ring that they are trying to lord over. Got it. <laughs> but then he's like, oh, but now you know we're over here to like Bilbo Baggins. And what I know from the trailers of the Hobbit um, is really cool to hear all these other references of like. Oh, you're talking about that dragon? It's like, oh, I'm like, oh my gosh! Like they, they're doing the thing. Like <laughs> this is, this is. I mean, really, this feels like. Um, and I'm gonna connect this to anime world. Um, this feels so much like Dragon Ball Z in the sense that where the Dragon Ball series that got, you know, Dragon Ball Z the sequel started um, started also very um, it was very successful but it wasn't as widely known as Dragon Ball Z which became like a lot of people's favorite animes but it it makes references back to old villains and other adventures but now we're seeing these new people in this different stage of life facing this new threat and it's really cool to see that especially for older fans we talk about this in our other episode of um the podcast where we just had a standalone conversation about book versus film. Uh, And I think we kind of came to the conclusion that the book is the book and the film is the film version of it. Uh, It's not meant to replace the book, but it's meant to be how this medium would look in this medium. So if we Mm -hmm. were to take the book and put it into film, what conventions of this medium can we use to tell this story? And I'm really impressed with what they were able to do um, because nothing felt trite or like, oh, I've seen this before or like, oh, they're doing this thing. I'm just like, okay, yeah. And then, okay, they find him and he meets them. Can we trust this guy? I mean, he's so cool. He has a sword and he knows Frodo. Okay, cool. Well, I want his team. Wherever he's going, I want to be with him. (laughs) And I'm just like, I'm having, like, I'm audibly gasping. (laughs) And I'm like, oh. Okay, good. And like I'm like having this roller coaster of reaction with this story that I kind of have references to but have never seen actually played out and it's so cool to hear the weight behind so many iconic phrases like uh if you want him come and claim him. I was like, "Woo! Yeah!" Like I'm just like so excited cuz I'm like, "Oh, that's that's such an awesome moment or you shall not pass like oh just different just seeing the the moments the the meaning behind the moments was just so exciting there are a lot of great lines in this uh in in this movie i think the one line uh that's missing is i would have loved to hear samurai scamji just yell hobbits never say die uh all I really want. This is yeah. our time. Our time down here. He's like, oh, we going to a cave? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I got friends down here. Oh. I know people. And, and uh, speaking of Samwise, like when he went out to get Frodo, he was going to sail away. 
yeah. openly sobbed, had to stop the movie. I'm just like, ah, oh, why? I can't believe this move. What this movie's doing? Like they, it's just so touching and so good. I'm just, I'm really impressed with it. And so this is basically someone who's watching it for the first time in the 21st century. Um, and it's so cool to see what they did in 2001. Yeah, that that's the other thing. In 2001, uh, I mean, Peter Jackson has always tried to kind of push the envelope on technology and film and things like that. But wherever they could, they really wanted to use forced perspective, mm-hmm. um, especially for the scenes in Hobbiton where Gandalf is present. And so there, the sets, if you look at the, the photos of them, uh, it's really interesting just like the different sizes of their furniture and where they're positioned to make Gandalf look huge and make Ian Holm look really small and things like that. So um, I really appreciate the thought and design behind that. Um, Cause I, I did, I, I don't know how accurate this is. So maybe it's, you know, inappropriate to share it back, but I did hear a story about um, when they were shooting the Hobbit, which used a lot more green screen than um, Lord of the Rings did comparatively and the the story goes that Sir Ian McKellen just started kind of crying to himself a little bit on set one day, and they're they're like, "What's what's wrong? What's going on?" And he was alone on the green screen because they were going to add in everyone after. And he goes, "I just miss my friends." Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not that's not why you get into acting a lot of the time, right? You want to interact with people, especially someone as classically trained as he is. And so, um, it I. I love how tangible this movie feels. Mm -hmm. And to me, there are a lot of similarities between the Lord of the Rings franchise and the Star Wars franchise. I mentioned Obi-Wan being like a specific plot point, but I think just in how these have aged, um, very similar, where you have this core trilogy that everything is built on, and then you have these, you know, somewhat flashier, cleaner in some respects prequels, um, and then you have this extended universe with the games and the TV shows and all that, um, uh, as as well as additional novels. So uh, to me, though, this being the first one of the core trilogy, it's got that same kind of gravity to it that um, a, a New Hope has. And so um, I just love, like, I didn't have the opportunity to see A New Hope in theaters. So glad I got to see Fellowship of the Ring um, in, in theaters. And of the three movies, this, this is the one that I have rewatched the most. Um, I, I just love the setup. I, I think it's got, I mean, it doesn't really have an end to it cause it's not supposed to, but the, the journey, even in this first third is really satisfying. And going back to the adaptation aspect of it, it's, um, it's interesting when you read the books, there's a, there's a, a Tolkien called out how, People call it a trilogy. It's not really a trilogy. It's actually three volumes comprised of six books, um, and each volume is two books. And so um, I, I think that that sets the pace really well when you're reading it, but that becomes incredibly important later on where you start in the books, you start to really only follow individual tracks. So like one book will just be all of Frodo and Sam, or one book will just be all of what was happening to, to Mary and Pippin and, and the company to try to, to rescue them as in, in the second one. So, um, they, I mean, for film purposes, you have to intertwine those stories a little more to keep people on board. But 
um, it's again, it goes back to just the choices they made of saying, hey, there's no doubt that we love this story to our core and we want to try to adapt it to give service to the intent of the story. And so a lot of people have problems with like bringing in Arwen into this movie um, uh, who really doesn't have a, a presence in the, in the first book, but it's, uh, it's important to uh, understanding the, really the core of who, you know, Aragorn is and, and some of making him a little more relatable to plant that seed for later payoff. So um, yeah, I don't even know what section we're in right now. I'm just uh, uh, we we all have about yet it. to say the movie title. We uh... yeah. Mm, mm. <laughs> I will say yeah. Part of what makes this so great, and I think bridges uh, to mainstream more than fantasy, is just how relatable the characters are. Because oh. uh, I I think the most relatable part of this film is where Bilbo makes a joke that doesn't land during his speech. And so he just puts the ring on and disappears. Like, man, I wish I had that back when I was doing stand-up. How where great would that you, be? Where were you when I hid after a girl <laughs> asked me out, where were you, ring? Uh, well, speaking of um, disappearing and making hard transitions, let's go ahead and launch into Headcanon. Headcanon. <laughs> Hey, Ken, this is part of the show. We share you unique ideas and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. So, I'm just going to say it, and I know I'm not the first person on the internet to say this, but so many Star Wars connections. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, straight down to uh, the casting, with Christopher Lee certainly having a type. When I saw that he actually turned uh, evil, I was like... Oh, like I audibly gasped. I'm like, oh, I, oh, so you just you you you're a bad guy. Okay, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my main uh, headcanon is that um, Star Wars is in the same universe, but it is, um, you know how they say a long time ago in a galaxy far away. Mm-hmm. Um, my theory is basically that it's it's still a long time ago. But maybe in, in a not so distant galaxy. Mm. Um, mm. It's the, what if it was like so? Basically, that's just the idea. Is that like you know? I don't know what happens in later movies yet because you know I was young and stupid. Um, so I was I just wrote movies off like that. Um, so maybe this will happen. Who knows? But the yeah, the force is just more of whatever that dark ring energy is um and the good is whatever its counterpart is i see yeah i see so gandalf is full of midichlorians yes thank you got it yeah (laughs) that a lot of people real angry well yeah no that's that's what was in the extended cut right Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just 30 minutes of midichlorians. Okay, yeah. good, good. Yeah, it's super difficult to infuse headcanon into this story because the world building is so tight, mm-hmm. um, especially when you consider the accounts in the Cimmerillion. But um, I kind of had the opposite of your headcanon. But I think I think it makes sense, though, if this is concurrent, like if it's in the far past and it's Middle Earth, if like Earth had to colonize, it's like Middle Earth, Outer Earth, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But my headcanon was that this is actually in the distant future. 
Um, oh. More of like a Cloud Atlas future, I suppose. Okay. But uh, that it's still Earth. And everyone um, is Tom Hanks. Everyone's Tom Hanks. Yeah. But that the existence of uh, you know, elves and they talk about how orcs came from elves. Um, but all of that is due to just super long-term evolution, similar to like H.G. Wells' uh, vision of the future in the time machine, where humanity really, you know, diversified genetically and became almost completely different species. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, the, the different animals that would happen to them as well, where you could get these dragons and these beasts and these trolls and all that. Um, and then technology really is just, you know, the form of magic. Um, and I think the thing that really got me on that track though, is just the buildings, like almost every building Mm. they come across is just a complete ruin. Uh, so it's like, Planet of the Apes. Uh, so I was like, okay. just the distant future, and they, they kind of set this up. And I like the idea that, you know, huma- humanity kind of resets, you know, thousands and thousands of years, millions of years even. Um, but, uh, yeah, that this is just the next kind of, you know, cultural turning point. Because what I really like about that then is even though that's in the future, the themes are still relevant for today uh right. that we're still fighting that same battle of good and evil power and greed all that so um yeah i had the exact opposite approach but yes that it is just a different time yep. so uh but yeah super difficult to do headcanon uh on this movie maybe the hardest it's ever been oh yeah i mean because there is they establish so much it's like okay so we live in a world where wizards elves um, mankind, giant eagles, mysterious rings all exist. It's just like, okay, mm-hmm. uh, I guess the Care Bears are also there. Like, I don't know what else to throw out there. Um, and, but I do, I think my only other piece of headcanon that I had um, that was just, like, showing up a lot for me uh, was, you know, Hobbits are, based off the first uh, book, um, from my research, again, I haven't read the first uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings book, but the first book is just basically establishing like how good hobbits are at note keeping. Um, mm. And so just the idea that a lot of fiction or fantasy that is out in the world is from hobbit accounts. Oh, based um, on a true story. Yeah, yeah, all based on a true story of Lord of the Rings, based off the novel pushed by Sapphire um, <laughs> Baggins, Sapphire Baggins. Um, so, I, I think that's it. Just how um, you know, I really liked, and I'm going to misquote it, but I really liked how in the beginning they're just like you know, um, story turned to legend, legend turned to myth, like. All these different things, just like so much time has passed that like the mm. what really happened, people just started forgetting about and stopped like being aware. Like history was basically about to repeat itself because of it. And so I, I just thought that that was really cool and how um, kind of makes you relook at all different kinds of fiction. Mm. Yeah, from a certain perspective, where the fiction? No, oh, doesn't work. Doesn't work. <laughs> anyway, let's go to recast remake. All right. Recast, remake. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast Tom Holland's? And what would the storyline be? The same. Uh, now, I would love for Tom Holland's, even if they just did a deep fake having him as Elijah Wood 
Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like I, what they're doing with Back to the Future. And yes. Him right now. Yeah, yeah. I think that that would be great. And, and I did bring Avengers before. I would love to bring just like let them take on just the complete opposite direction um, with uh, the cast of the Avengers basically being uh, in the Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Rings. Uh, let me just go ahead and go down the line and get that casting done. Um, I would love for um, Samuel L. Jackson as Gandalf the Grey. Um, mm. I would love to get... Um, honestly, Sean Bean can still uh, be Boromir. Um, for Sam... Sean Astin, man, now I realize I'm just going to say all the same casting except for... <laughs> You're just reading the cast list. Yeah. Just reading the cast list at this point in time. Honestly, Tom Holland, I would love to see him as um, Frodo. I would love to see him as Frodo. Uh, I think that Samuel L. Jackson would be a really fun Gandalf the Grey. Um, and he, I just I just think he has the range because Gandalf was so sweet. He so badly didn't want Frodo. He's like, we can't ask this of Frodo, man. He's just a kid. I just love that relationship. I think it would be uh, really fun to get Lawrence Fishburne in as Saruman. Uh, oh. or, I say Saruman? Sorrow Man. There Sour Patch Kids. That's the one. Um, uh, for Bilbo, um, I think that I would love to see uh, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think that he would be a really fun Bilbo. Um, and then uh, the rest. Uh, yeah, that, that is one thing that does kind of change rewatching this uh, from the Hobbit movies coming out is when uh, Gandalf walked up and he's like, Bilbo, you haven't aged today. And having seen those now, you're like, he's just being polite. Originally, right. that was supposed to be like a red flag. Right. But now it's just a, a social courtesy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you haven't aged a day. Age a day. Oh, you look sixty yeah. years older. You, yeah. <laughs> and the um the voice for um the ring, which by the way, Alan Howard, what a great career. Um, Tom Hanks. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So I did a similar thing, uh, except I casted all of mine with Tom H's, where Tom Holland is Frodo. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks as Gandalf. Oh, okay. Uh, Tom Hardy as Aragorn, Ooh, or Strider. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hiddleston as Elrond because he knows how to play elves, uh, nice. like ice elves, sure, yeah. but still it works. And then instead of robes, they'd all wear Tommy Hilfiger. I think it really <laughs> modernizes the story. Yeah. Oh, man. I feel like that the last thing is the only thing that people are going to have a problem That's with. What, Everything yeah, else. No, I, I just want to see these characters else? in shorts, you know, like... <laughs> Um, some beachwear. They're by some water big all the time. Pockets. I think yeah. they need more pockets. Uh, uh, for the remake aspect, though, I think it would be really interesting just what this would look like as an all female cast, since this movie is. <laughs> how should I say this? It's quite the haggis fest. Um, <laughs> and so I think some kind of, I don't know, ladyship of the ring. I don't know. Like it just. <laughs> yeah. That was the thing that did, didn't feel like, hmm, would they do this the same way? It's like, think. Thank goodness they brought Arwen into and Gladriel and all that into to more of it. Oh, Gladriel is, is a pretty significant part of that of the book itself, uh, the first one here. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, 
it could uh it could use some more females yeah for sure yeah, yeah i mean honestly it would be really interesting to see uh, and we brought up cloud atlas now i think three times um but I honestly think that if they did a like because they, they talk about how history just kind of repeats itself um, again, haven't seen the rest of it. But if they were to just redo Fellowship of the Rings, but in kind of like a neo futuristic film of like just a bunch of like, what am I thinking? What, what's that futuristic film with? Uh, You're thinking of Jupiter Ascending. Thank you. Jupiter Ascending. Were Let's you just, really? <laughs> no. Oh, OK. <laughs> Like nobody was. Now I don't think anyone's thinking about Jupiter ascending. Oh. Um, no, uh, Harrison Ford, um, Star Wars. Thank no other future, other Harrison Ford futuristic. Um, they did oh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Thank you. I, yeah. I was blanking on Blade Runner. If they were to basically do Blade Runner, but Lord of the Rings, I think that that would at the very least make a very fun, like kickstarted short. Um, graphically, I think would be really fun to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that would be fun fun to look at, like the story of Lord of the Rings through the lens of different time periods. Um, and so, I think a future kind of robotic uprising kind of thing would be fun to look at, um, or even um, kind of like a Saving Private Ryan kind of like war time, like our our American wartime. Um, look at the Lord of the Rings, like less mythical and more like, oh, this is we are retrieving this thing and it's representative of the, what the ring represents, which is just, yeah. you know, all I, evil. I think at that point, it's just a completely different movie and you should feel free to write it. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah. <laughs> circle with a C, circle with a C. Uh, well, because it does have so many you know, universal story aspects to it. Right. Um, and so the genre tie... I think is part of what makes it Lord of the Rings, but yeah, that's oh, I mean, because basically to me, it's like you know, star like I've been saying, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. It a lot of it comes down to genre, right? And I think I think it would work for all those different genres, like you're talking about. Also, because Lord of the Rings is so metaphorical, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of it was so tied to you know Tolkien's um, upbringing and his his faith background and and all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like. You set it somewhere else, and you got you got your own movie, man. Yes. I'll let you know when I make several billion dollars. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to go into our final segment of the show, uh, where we like to give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend Lord of the Rings, colon, Fellowship of the Ring? I recommend Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, because... Uh, it really is, whether you're watching this movie or reading the book, it's a journey of the mind and the heart to a new world. Uh, it really does just transport you to this amazingly thought through um, thought through world that, that Tolkien has envisioned. And um, I feel like the, the movie, in a lot of ways, and some people will disagree, but in a lot of ways, Peter Jackson has you kept this alive. Um, and uh, with the help of the, the Tolkien estate through Christopher Tolkien and all that, um, I, I just love that it's it's lasted for so long. It is a classic. And um, we're at an exciting point to where this classic literature is you know, meeting modern technology to, to build that next generation of 
of fans. Like I know when I have kids, this is going to be on, on the shelf. Uh, it's going to be because between my wife and I, they're going to just be surrounded by stories of magic because she is like all in on Harry Potter. I'm uh, definitely solidly in the Lord of the Rings camp. And so um, it's just one of those that has that kind of generational staying power. Um, and we talked a lot about the the adaptation of it. I think having read the books, the ability to adapt a world um, as efficiently and concisely, even with the extended cuts compared to what the source material has, it's pretty amazing. Um, and to, to really figure out how to re- reveal events in different orders and, and what should be there and what needs to be edited out, um, it, it allows us to explore the world still, but in a way that keeps us on track consistently with the, the core plot and for the the um, attention that uh, modern audiences can respond to. And uh, they absolutely responded. So uh, if you look at the awards that Lord of the Rings wins, I rarely recommend things just purely because of the awards, but there is some social proof aspect to this where they won 119 awards uh, with 124 nominations. And I remember watching you know, the, the Oscars and the Golden Globes and uh, all of these, it felt like because of the three movies there, it felt like every year it was just, I was listening to this this score while people were walking to a stage. I was like, I'm going to watch the Oscars this year and half of it's going to be just the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, um, which I would argue is one of the best scores in cinema. Howard Shore Agreed. really, this is... This is the the ultimate, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, there's a lot of great aspects to this, both visually, storytelling, sound, music, all of it. Um, and I'm I'm so glad that this got recognized for all that as well, because you know we love the Marvel films, but most of the time they are, uh, you know, kind of locked in pretty solidly in like visual effects awards and things like that. This uh, was really recognized in a lot of different areas, and so. Um, as as a recommendation, I think that this uh, it's a story that uh, I mean it's still around. It continues to be adapted. We're going to get new uh, stories in this world pretty soon, and um, it's it's expanded this way not just because of the incredible world building, but because the core themes of power and greed, good versus evil, they're still relevant today. Um, and so if you have not seen Lord of the Rings, I'd say if you have not read it either, I'm recommending a book on a movie podcast, but if you have what not read you Lord of the Rings, I mean, I give it to people as gifts like, oh, you haven't read Lord of the Rings? Here's, here's the trilogy. Like it's, it's really, um, it's really worth digging into. So please, 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 if you have not read it, if you have not immersed yourself in this story, Please do that as soon as possible. The reason why I'd recommend this movie, I'm coming from a different perspective. I kind of wrote it off. And for the most part, most fantasy genre material doesn't really capture my attention. But this does. And I think it really comes down to it being the story. The story is just so compelling. And the characters, like they do such a good job on making an ensemble cast with everyone having their own reason for being a part of it, um, just flourish. Like they did something so well in one movie. Um, 
which is like you get us on this journey and we are on board and we know why all the different players are in it. Uh, they did such a good job. It, it kind of reminded me of something that I wish DC Comics would have done with the uh, Justice League movie. Uh, I think that the it's very I, I saw just a lot of parallels to just the whole superhero genre and Lord of the Rings. I'm like Lord of the Rings like did such a good job of basically having like the team up before having an individual film about each person and us knowing why everyone's there, what their personality is like, and agency. There was they needed to move forward, and sometimes the team wasn't enough to actually defeat everyone like they had casualties and they had to just keep moving forward and i mean i was just i've never been i are at the very least for uh, this movie it made me so excited to watch the second one almost immediately after it's just like mm -hmm. well i don't have three hours in my day but <laughs> but i really want to watch the next movie so let me try to package that into a sentence the Lord of the Ring, Fellowship of the Rings is such a great introduction to the fantasy genre if you've never been in it or gotten into that. Um, and it's also just an iconic um, piece of pop culture that you definitely need to watch if you haven't seen it because you will enjoy it. And you might cry once or twice or, you know, all throughout. Especially when Sean Astin speaks. Mm-hmm. Because he has the sincerity of a baby doe. Oh, man. That's just the most sincere animal I could think of. No, you are correct. Oh, good. And that is our review of the 2001 movie, Lord of the Rings, colon, Fellowship of the Ring. Let us know what you remember about that movie on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You guessed it. In all places, we are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean so much to us if you could give us a ring over on your podcasting platform of choice and leave us a rating and review on a scale of one to five meals of the day. Oh, actually there might be more. So you have, you have there's more than that, but I like, I like the multiple. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, like how satisfying is this podcast? Like all, mm. all five meals that you can have before the sun sets and then more. There it goes. I fixed it. Maybe. I don't know. I was going to say five rings, but that just made me think of Captain Planet. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, makes yeah. more sense. You, oh, no, yours is better. Rings. Yours is better because because you don't need more rings at this point. It's oh, one yeah, ring to rule them all. One, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, know. But we we need to eat at least five meals a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With my spy creeping its way into theaters, we are going back to 2001 to the original young spy. No, not Harriet the Spy. We already did that. We're talking about Spy Kids. I spy with my little eyes something nostalgic. Bam!